Hello, and welcome to the Kingdom Corner Podcast, where you can propel your faith into even deeper levels as we discuss how to live the kingdom culture on earth as it is in heaven, just as Jesus prayed. Here's your host, the great Matt Geib. Hello, Kingdom Corner Podcast devotees and followers. The great Matt Geib just dropping in at the beginning of this episode because I'm so excited that this is the start of our fourth season here at the Kingdom Corner. And I want to thank you all for all of you that have listened over the last three seasons and that will listen this season. Uh, I'm just so excited to be here. I believe this is episode 116 that we're doing, and it's all because of you, and I thank you. I'm grateful. I'm blessed, as we're going to learn about today in in the lesson. And uh, so sit back and enjoy Psalms. It's going to be such a great study And I'm just so excited. We have more interviews coming up. So I'm really excited for what this season will bring, uh, fall of 2022 and the new year of 2023. Be blessed and thank you again. Good day, good day. Kingdom Corner podcast devotees and followers, the great Matt Geib is with you once again for another wonderful lesson from the book of Psalms. We recently started a series on Psalms in the last month. We are now on part three. We finished the introduction, and we finally get to get into a couple of Psalms. And the way we will do this with this study is, I I believe I mentioned it, but if if I hadn't, I'm not going to just go from Psalm 1 clear up to Psalm 150. Not going to do that. We may not even cover every psalm, but I'm going to kind of skip around in the psalms based on just psalms that I love and psalms that some of the members of the Kingdom Corner have mentioned that they wanted me to cover and that I've kind of reviewed and like as well. But having said that, we cannot get started in the book of Psalms without the introduction to all the psalms which are Psalm 1 and 2. Psalm 1 and 2 are considered an introduction by scholars to all the rest of the Psalms. And I'm, uh, I'm going to cover that here in a second. There are no opening inscriptions to either Psalm 1 or 2, or titles. Um, the manuscripts ran all the Psalms together. There were no chapter breaks. So Psalm 1 and 2 could basically be considered um, one chapter, by many scholars, and it is. Um, Chapter 1 is for the personal man or woman. Chapter 2 highlights a nation, okay? That's the big difference between the two. They're kind of the same tenor, the same theme, but one is to the individual, and chapter 2 is to a nation. Psalm 2, like Psalm 1, is credited to David, and both, like I said, they flow together, same theme, same tenor, Acts 4.25 said, Who by the mouth of your servant David have said, Why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? And David right there is being quoted by Paul, or by, uh, I think it was actually Luke who wrote Acts. He's being quoted from Psalm 2. Acts 13.33, God hath fulfilled the same unto us, their children, in that he hath raised up Jesus again, as it is written in the second psalm, Thou art my son, this day I have begotten thee. And then the note here is, see Psalm 2-7, The Lord has said to me, Thou art my son, this day I have begotten thee. Again, in Acts, Luke is quoting from Psalm 2. Both Psalms 1 and 2 contain the general content, and tenor of every other psalm, of all the rest of the 148, we could say. Let's look at some comparisons and contrasts of Psalm 1 and 2. Psalm 1, as I said, focuses on the individual. Psalm 2 focuses on the nations. Both psalms contain uh, wicked versus righteous. In other words, how God will respond to the wicked, how God will respond to the righteous. Psalm 1 talks about the righteous man or the wicked man. Psalm 2 talks about the righteous nation or the wicked nation. 
Also in the same way, blessing is contrasted to cursing as individuals and, is, and nations as well. Blessing is contrasted to cursing both for an individual and for the nations. Uh, the righteous man or nations, we could say Psalm 2, Psalm 1, Psalm 2, do such and become such and such. The wicked man or nations do these kind of actions and then they turn out this way or that, we could say. Both Psalms show the faithfulness of God to the individual or to the nation. There's a blessing that one can choose as an individual or a judgment one can choose by their actions, and that's the same for the nations. Um, and this is a clear, direct, overriding theme of both these psalms, blessing or judgment, and that's made by man's choice. Both psalms show the indissoluble connection between righteousness and blessing versus wickedness and cursing. Both psalms also show the blessing or lack of a blessing of a fulfilled or unfulfilled covenant by Yahweh to the individual as well as nationally. Key note, the blessing of following God and God's faithfulness toward us. That's the key note of both these psalms. The blessing of following God and the faithfulness toward us. Um, next note, the Psalms are an open-hearted expression of people attempting to follow God, and throughout this we see it takes spiritual revelation to walk with God. And we could say this about all the Psalms. Like I said, Psalm 1 and 2 are the introduction for all the Psalms. A blessing of following God and God's faithfulness toward us, you know, is shown throughout all the Psalms. The psalmists are always talking about how grateful they are for God's blessing and his faithfulness to them, or how they're lamenting the ways of the wicked. Um, they're an open-hearted expression of people attempting to follow God, and we see throughout the Psalms, like I said, it takes spiritual revelation or enlightenment to walk with God. The last thought is the successful man, the successful nation then, the conclusion is they follow God. So, we're going to get right into it. We're going to start in Psalm 1. I must say this is maybe my favorite psalm. It's, least one, it's at least one of them. And I can remember as a young lad, now I'm a young man, I'm going to be 67, as a young lad in grade school, every year from... Uh, grades 1 to 6, we had a lady that would come in once a week and actually teach from the Bible. And one of her big uh, things that she taught was Bible memorization. And you'd get uh, recognition like a star by your name or maybe some candy. Uh, based on how well you memorized different passages, she would go over and give. And I can remember this was the first... Uh, passage of the Bible I really specifically remember memorizing, and that was Psalm 1, verses 1 to 6, which is the whole uh, verses of Psalm 1, but I'm just going to read it. I could almost probably quote it to you. I still know it that well. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its season, whose wheat leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Psalm 1, New King James Version. And I must note here that in our studies I usually use the New King James Version. May be a little bit easier to read than the King James, simply for the fact that all the research and uh, things that I highlight, the key words and the verses, the individual verses uh, that we re re reference are tied to the King James Version 
uh, New King James Version. That's why. But I will at times bring in other translations uh, to just highlight a certain thought or a certain verse. Psalm 1. Psalm 1 contrasts the end of one who loves God and God's law to the end of one who is ungodly. Goes through, uh, that's, that shows what their final conclusion will be. If you choose to follow God, or you choose to go your own way and, and live the way of the ungodly. Deuteronomy 11.26-28 as a cross-reference that shows this really well. It's a parallel passage. The way I teach in the Kingdom Corner, if you don't know already, I've been here. In fact, this is the, this is the highlight we're going to celebrate. This podcast begins year four of the Kingdom Corner podcast. I'm so grateful that we've been able to be on here for three years, now starting our fourth. And so we're going to celebrate today a little bit. Deuteronomy 11, 26 to 28, I use parallel passages because I want to show that these truths aren't just in Psalm 1, uh, but they are throughout the whole Bible. Behold, I set before you a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, I command you, and the curse, if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God. But turn aside from the way, which I command you today, to go after other gods, which you have not known. Another cross-reference, Joshua 1.8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. God never did away with the law, uh, with the new covenant of grace that was ushered in through the sacrifice of Jesus' life. The law is good and to be followed. In fact, Jesus fulfilled the law. The Psalms testify to this. It's a way... Uh, it's just a way that the, the covenant of the grace, we appropriately apply the law. In other words, we're going to apply the law. He didn't do away with the law. It, it will be applied in a new way. The Psalms are a yea and amen to the Pentateuch. Now we're going to get into the uh, individual verses, and we're going to break them down, uh, go through them here. Uh, just one second. Okay, so looking at verse one, blessed is the man. We could stop right here and preach a whole message on this. Blessed is the man. We need to take, as the Old Testament says, a Selah moment, a moment to consider and just pause and reflect of what God is saying, the importance of this. Blessed is the man. This is one of those words in the Bible that can never be fully unpacked or understood. It seems so simple. We sometimes just go right past it when the Bible says blessed. But there's a reason it's there, and there's a lot we can unpack here. It takes time, uh, and it takes time. It should slap us upside the head. We shouldn't just, you know, rush past this. Bl blessed. Esher. Blessed, the Hebrew word esh air, blessed, happiness, how happy, how blessed, are, or blessedness of blessedness. We have a blessedness of blessedness upon us, or that we have happiness of happiness. We have a complete state of happiness. It's plural in the Hebrew, and plural in the Hebrew is always used for an emphasis. Blessed is also the first word note that Jesus used. Note this, that Jesus used in the Sermon on the Mount. This word is always related to those who choose to serve God, to those who choose to follow God. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the woman who serve God. We were created to function best serving God. Way back in the Garden of Eden when we were made, that's what men and women were made for. That's where they'll find their true happiness. Of course, we know that man chose his own way, and men still choose their own way today because they think they can be happy in and of themselves apart from God. But those of us that know God, that have an intimate relationship with Abba, know that's not the case. You were made specifically. 
the way God made you, to relate and have relationship with Abba, with God. All right, the use of the plural in the Hebrew shows powerfully the manifold or many, many ways God intends to bless the man or woman serving him. There shall be showers of blessing. I remembering that old hymn my mother and grandmother used to sing in church. This is the promise of God. There shall be seasons of blessing. Oh, from the heavens above. I'm not sure I've got the words completely right, but showers of blessing. God wanted to bless man, right? Point, God never just intends for us to have one blessing, but blessings plural, a plethora of blessings. Each person will have all the best if they're serving God or should have, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of what this sin-fallen world may bring you, whether the child gets sick, whether the car breaks down, this person can still have the best of everything. Gifts, possessions, desires, they should experience or will experience complete happiness in every regard, complete and total satisfaction in all ways, having all you could ever want or desire. This is the best possible state a person could ever be in. When we're talking about being blessed, we're, we're talking about esher. You know, that's what God is talking about. It's the culmination, of course, that we find in heaven, where there'll be no wants, no sadness, no pain, no lacks, no dissatisfaction whatsoever. Uh, but we can also experience it here, regardless, like I said, of the circumstance or what you're going through. The body may break down, but the spirit that has relationship with God never does. This is a many-faceted word. It's so hard, like I said, it goes bias, you know. Yeah, I'm blessed. What does that mean? It goes bias, uh, uh, right bias sometimes. It's hard for us to get our minds and hearts around just how deep this word is. And that's why God tried to express it in the Hebrew language through David, through the writer who penned this, which I believe is Moses, in the plural. Okay, let's go on. Blessed is the man. And it's from a root word in the Hebrew, asher, asher, to go or be straight, walk straight, be well-ordered, be consistent. So it's from a root that means to walk straight, be well-ordered. From the Hebrew, uh, that's what it means, as to be or show an exceptional state. The highest blessings attainable are given to those who walk straight and live a well-ordered life before Abba. Remember Adam and Eve walking in the garden, in the cool of the day, Adam having fellowship with Abba, you know, conversation as his son you know, as a favorite son, and also Eve, I believe. They walked, and they had a well-ordered life taking care of the garden, and God never wanted that to end. And, of course, man fell, but through Jesus Christ, we're being brought back into this well-ordered walk, this well-ordered state that we can have. Let's see another cross-reference that shows this in the New Testament. Second Peter 1, 3, and 4. His divine power, as His divine power, has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceeding great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust." beautiful scripture. We have his divine power that enables us to walk straight and orderly. We don't do it in our own strength. 1 Timothy 6.6, 6, but godliness with contentment, and the further definition in Greek would be with sufficiency, with satisfaction, is a perfect condition in life, is great gain. Godliness with contentment, with sufficiency, is great gain. There's a definite connection between happiness, between being blessed and godliness, and walking the way God created us to walk with Him. All in this person is working perfectly. That is the blessed man or woman. There's no chaos or disorder. All is harmony. Even if your personal world is falling apart, okay, friend? 
and we're not on talking about trials today, but I just want to put that in there, that uh, that should not affect a man or woman of God. See Job, see the book of Job, see the life of Job, and you might understand that. He lost everything, but he still walked with God. That man, in the Hebrew language for emphasis, blessed is that man, not just the man, but that specific man, all right? Uh, uh, and it's talking about that new man in Christ, right? Ephesians 4.24, that you should put on the new man, that man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Also see Colossians 3.10 as a cross-reference. Ephesians 2.15, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for him and himself of twain, one new man, so making peace. So he took the, basically what he's saying here in Ephesians, is he took the nation of uh, Israel, which was his covenant people, the Jews, and also the Gentiles who Paul went to preach to, and he made them one because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Okay? Um, and that's why they became one new man. God wants to bless you and I beyond our wildest dreams and imagin imaginations. Ephesians 3.20 To him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power, Jesus Christ's power, that works in us. Ephesians 3.20 Blessedness, or being blessed, encompasses all that God gives to you and I as we walk with Him in a straight and ordered life. All that we can ever give to Him is re responded to by all He gives to us in blessing. Question, who gives the most? You or I or Abba, the Heavenly Father? That should be obvious, right? Our commitment to Abba is so minimal compared to his commitment to you and I. The blessings he showers upon us are so much greater than anything we could ever give to him. Amen? The Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5-7, to those chapters, is foundational. I, I suggest you go read them later today or this week. Is foundational to a relationship with Abba and has roots in Psalm 1. I believe Jesus must have been meditating on Psalm 1 when he came up with the Sermon on the Mount. It is a wonderful revelation. Uh, Psalm starts out with blessed. That's a wonderful revelation as the first word. As every person, that's the way all people are made, whether they know Abba or not, they were made, they want blessing. They want to be, they'd want to do well. We were made that way, and the Psalms shows us Abba's path, Abba's path to how to have the blessing, right? <laughs> Let's go to the next phrase. Okay, blessed is the man, right? Is that man, and here's why. Who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. He walks not, he stands not, and he sits not, okay, in, in any of these areas. And we're going to go through that. This shows, verses 1 to 3 then, shows a real progressive growth process of walking with Abba. Verse 1 shows what a man or woman of God avoids. He, he avoids the counsel of an ungodly uh, person or persons. Uh, verse 2 shows what a man or woman of God um delights in, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And then verse 3, we could say, shows what a man or woman will become by walking orderly with Abba, avoiding ungodly things, what, what that produces. It produces a wonderful metaphor is shown of a fruit tree, but our lives are fruitful, and they uh, provide good things to uh, our family and other people, to our community. But he walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. He stands not in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. This is the first point in the growth process, what a man or woman of God 
avoids. This is a progression out of darkness or sin to that of becoming an overcoming favored son or daughter of God. Walks, stands, sits. Let those words just roll over you. Walks, stands, sits. Uh, related to counsel, way or path, and seat. And then ungodly, sinners, scornful. See that play on word? Walks, stands, sits. Counsel, way or path, and seat. Ungodly, sinners, scornful. He walks or walketh not. Blessed is the man, that man, that is, or woman, who walks, who has not been walking, or walks not, and is still not walking. Okay? It's, it's, it's a consistent walk, day after day after day, throughout his, his, or, whole, his or her whole life, we could say. It, in, it is in the perfect Hebrew uh, tense. David is implying Blessing comes only after you have begun to walk in a new way and for a consistent amount of time. Sure, you're blessed at first, when you first come to know Abba, but the real lasting blessing, I believe, grows and flourishes more and more and more as we walk with Him, and is proven throughout having a walk of consistency. Scripture talks about not wanting or not, I'm sorry, not walking in, but also putting off sin. Leviticus 20:23, 20, You shall not walk in the manners of other nations, which I cast before you, for they are committed, have committed all these things, and therefore I abhorred them. And he's talking about wicked things that they committed. John 8:12. Then Jesus spoke unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Romans 8.1 There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after their fleshly desires, but after the Spirit of Abba, we could say. Romans 13.13 13, Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting or drunkenness, but in uh, and chambering and wantonness, not in strife or in envying. Uh, Romans 8, 4, The righteousness of the law might be fulfilled who walk, those, in those who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Let's go on. There's a few more uh, references here that I highlighted as parallel passages to this walking and walking not after the uh, way of the sinner. But you can find them in the show notes. These will all be in the show notes. Let's talk for a second about the counsel of the ungodly. Okay? We talked about that phrase, did we not? He walks not after the counsel of the ungodly. The advice is of those that are unrighteous or criminal. He doesn't take their advice. Uh, of the hostile, those, not, those that don't acknowledge God. We don't go to them for advice or counsel. Uh, the ungodly, the Hebrew here means loose or lax uh, in their morals, taking the easy or lazy way out. Uh, the picture of a harlot woman, for example. There's no strength in them, no stability. They're willy-nilly. They're like James says. They're like the waves tossed to and fro in the sea, right? Um, Pharisees and uh, Sadducees uh, counseled against Jesus, and I have some references here in Matthew and Mark. They counseled against him. Because they, they didn't like his advice. Acts 6 and 7, the counsel of the ungodly led to Stephen's death when he was martyred. Let's read Romans 1, 18 to 16 in regard to counsel of the ungodly and what uh, fully bring that out, what he's talking about. For God does not overlook sin, and the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who in their wickedness suppress and stifle the truth. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, in their own consciousness. For God created them that way, made that evident to them. For ever since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through His workmanship. All his creation, that is the wonderful things that he made, so that they 
who fail to believe and trust him are without excuse and without defense. For even though they knew God as the creator, see they know in, in, in their consciousness and their subconscious, the way they were created, they knew there was a God. Uh, they did not honor him as God, though, or give thanks for his wondrous creation. On the contrary, they became worthless or were given over to a reprobate mind in their thinking with godless and pointless reasonings and silly speculation. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory and majesty and excellence of the immortal God for an image of worthless idols in the shape of a mortal man, birds and four-footed animals and reptiles. See, that a lot of the world worshipped idols, right? Therefore God gave them over in the lust of their own hearts to sexual impurity and sexual sin, and they dishonored the use of their body. I won't read any more of that, but that gives a good picture of how the ungodly are and how they act and how all men, every single man God created and woman with a conscience that lets them know and with a way of looking at creation and knowing there's God, but a lot of them have been so conditioned, especially in the times we live in, to deny God that they completely deny Him. And they're doing things that are completely against what He envision for them. And if this is happening to you, if you're being assailed in this area, hang up on the devil. Don't listen to the counselors of the ungodly, those demon spirits that come upon you, for you're a, you're a favored son and daughter of God. Get into the Word of God. Meditate on it and receive your counsel from the Word of God and find another man or woman of God that you can go get counsel from, have fellowship with. All right? Okay, the next phrase. Um, they don't, they don't listen to the counsel of the ungodly, um, or this man. Uh, the next point is they stand or standing in the way or the path of sinners. So now this ungodly man, this is what we're not supposed to do, but an ungodly man or woman, once they've listened, then what happens? They begin to stand with the sinners or in the path of the sinners. This is a further slide from just listening to sinful advice to beginning to partake of it. And we used to always tell our teenagers that came through this house, our teenage daughter, that, and are now our teenage granddaughters, that you become with the, you become like those people you hang with. You know? As good intentioned as you are, as good a heart as you are, even if you've come to know Abba personally, if you hang around with the wrong crowd, you begin to become like them and you begin to do things that aren't right, that aren't not pleasing to Abba, right? Uh, they began to listen to the advice, and now they begin to partake of it. We begin to miss the mark. That's what's shown forth here in the Hebrew, all right? Because of offense. Uh, and we begin to associate and practice sin uh, and those, th those ways that are of the world. Uh, remember in the Garden of Eden what happened to uh, Eve. First she listened to the serpent, then she ate of the fruit. First she took his counsel, hath God said, and then she ate of the fruit. She gave in. Now the next point, he, first he, he walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, or the ungodly person will. He stands not in the way of the sinner, or with, the, or with those people or the ungodly person will. It's a contrast. We're showing contrast. And then, then the next point, they do not sit in the seat of the scornful. Or the ungodly person, that's what they'll begin to do. They'll begin to sit right down in sin, which means a living in a life of sin, being controlled by a life of sin, a total submission to a life of sin. It's now become a part of who they are. They now speak evil of the righteous, um, and this is the last and worst possible state of sin. It's a total deterioration of one's life. And oh, we see that so much today. But we also see God in His wonderful compassion, His wonderful power, in contrast, bringing people out of that way of life as well. This is a person who openly scorns God, a person that actually fights against God. And this is the only place in the Psalms where this is shown this way, of somebody uh, 
with this kind of attitude of fighting against God. Let's look at some cross-references. Proverbs 21.24, the proud and haughty scorner, whoops, Proverbs 21.24, the proud and haughty scorner is his name who dealeth in proud wrath. 1 Corinthians 15.33, be not deceived, evil communication, see listening to the counseling of the ungodly, corrupts good morals. Eventually, if you listen to it long enough, you'll give in to it, okay? And you'll start to act that way. Proverbs 4, 23 and 24. Proverbs 4, 23 and 24. Keep your heart with all diligence. In other words, protect it, guard it, for out of it are the issues of life. Put away from your mouth forward speaking and perverseness from your lips. Put it far away from you. That's what uh, Solomon said here in Proverbs. Let's look at a New Testament parallel. James 1, 13 to 15. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin, when it's fully grown, it brings forth death. That's a good picture of the process, okay? The ungodly are not just rapists, murderers, adulterers. I have in my notes. They're not just the worst kind of sinners you see, on, sadly, on a lot on the news today. They're not just rapists, murderers, or adulterers. The worst kinds of sinners, we would say, we would categorize that in our own minds, but those who give no thought to God or have no time for Him in their lives. In God's eyes, the worst sinners are those that just completely don't hold God in their mind, like we read about in Romans 1. Going on then, a progression from God-centered living um, to self-centered living. So, this is a person that, like we said in Romans, we brought out that scripture, by their own conscience, by the creation that they see around them, they knew there was a God, but then they went away from that, from being God-centered to being self-centered. See Philippians 2, about how Christ went the other way, uh, and how he gives us the example of self-sacrifice in Philippians 2, the first few verses. Um, let's look at this progression in another way. Walks. Walking, when we're walking, uh, this speaks of, I believe, metaphorically to decisions we make all throughout our lives every day. Is God always in the picture? You know, I could, I could tell you an example of my own mother who passed away this spring, had such a simple faith in God, so she's making decisions, right? And she's giving those decisions or asking God about them. Even when she's out shopping, you know, uh, what should she do? Should she go home? because there's no parking close to where she can walk in. No, she makes the decision to ask by faith for a parking space, and God opens up a parking space for her. And that happened to her again and again. That's a simple idea or simple thought on decisions we make throughout the day. Are we considering God in the decisions that we're making? She could have just given up and gone home, right? Uh, let's look at stands. Uh, this is a person... He does not make waves, complain, murmur, or riot. And we've seen a lot of rioting this last year in North America, have we not? He does not make waves, complain, murmur, or riot. That's what the sinners do. That's what that word, uh, that phrase there is talking about. It here, here it means to, this word stands in the way of sinners, is the phrase. Here in the Hebrew it means to make a noisy tumult. Tumult. Tumult or noisy noise, or, you know, really make a riotous noise, right? 1 Corinthians 10.10, I thought of. The murmurs were destroyed by the destroyer. You know, the murmurs, those that murmured in the desert against Moses, they died in the wilderness, did they not? And they were actually, some of them, at different times, God took them out, did he not? So, he does not make waves, complain, murmur, or riot, all right? That doesn't mean if things are not right in our society and wrong that we don't speak up and say something. We do, but in a respectful way, okay? Scornful. One sense of scorn means to throw off. 
He does not play the blame game, in other words. That's what I would say. He doesn't throw it off. He doesn't say, well, you know, that's the way my, that's, I'm this way because my parents, of my parents, they let me down. You know, he takes responsibility for his life. Walks the decisions we make. Stands doesn't mean he's um, being uncivil and he's complaining or rioting like some people if he doesn't get his way. Scornful. He doesn't throw off the responsibility from his life. He takes responsibility. Now the contrast of blessing is brought in. All right? In. But his delight is in. Such a simple word in the Hebrew. His delight is in. Now we're going to connect something here. This little verse in both verses of 1 and 2 uh, means you cannot be on the fence. You're either in God or you're not. But his delight is in what? Is it in the way of the world? No. The Hebrew language here stops and says uh, of the ungodly progression, nay, absolutely not. Let's, let's look at this. Let's look at this verse. We read it earlier. Let's go back to the verse here for just a second. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in, that's that simple word, what's it in? The law of the Lord. The contrast of blessing is brought in. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law does he meditate, Day and night, you know, day and night, he meditates. Okay. Okay, so what he's saying here by this progression here that we talked about, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in. He doesn't do any of those things, absolutely not. He's, a righteous man is, the Hebrew language is saying he doesn't do any of those things. He's absolutely not doing them, okay? Absolutely not hearing the counsel of the ungodly or standing in the path of sinners or then doing those actions, right? Because his delight, this is the next point, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law does he meditate day and night. Delight. In the, in the uh, Hebrew language, hepes or hepes, hepes, a verb, means a longing, a taking pleasure in, a bending towards, and expressing that his or her whole being is bent towards something. That is, it's bent toward God. To firmly adhere to, to be wrapped around, these are all the meanings of the word delight. To firmly adhere to, to firmly be wrapped around, a longing, a pleasure, uh, a, a intense desire. Uh, the root word means to attack or go after by pursuit, okay? Um, I have on my wall here the measure of a man or a woman, woman's desire is the quality of their pursuit, you know? How bad do you want it? How bad are you going after it? A tracking down, a, a violent chase, chasing after something, right? A complete obsession with desire, for all you live for and every principle you imply in life is to bring into possession that desire that you want. Okay, it's like Paul said, you know, one thing I do, I press toward. He said in uh, Philippians 3, the high call in Jesus Christ. I press toward that like a runner running toward a prize. That's what's in view here. Law. But his delight is in the law. Let's look at that. That which points to or instructs, teaches. We're talking about the Torah, the Pentateuch. You know, uh, the Psalms doesn't do away with that. It's, it's talking, it also refers to it. Okay? When the heart is drawn to God, also the mind is drawn to God. Right? His delight is in the law of the Lord. Why is his mind drawn there? Because he's meditating on it day and night. And we can look at examples of men and women, you know, um, whose hearts were... Like I said, Paul, racing toward the goal. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Proverbs 23, 7. What you delight in is what you will think about. Whatever your mind runs toward is what will feed or delight your heart. If the heart loves a certain type of food, your mind will produce it. 
Examine your mind. Examine your brain to see what you are like. But let God counsel you. Don't let the ungodly counselors counsel you. Let God counsel you so you are without condemnation. Delight. You know, pursue after. Run after it like in a race. It's an intense desire. Be adhered to it. Wrap yourself around it. But, in, but his delight is in the law of the Lord because of why? Because he's meditating. Let's look at that word. Hagah, to moan or growl or utter or muse. Meditate. Uh, it has a wonderful facets in the Hebrew language. To moan, growl, utter, like a lion that is enjoying the prey that it has tracked down in the pursuit and, and, and mutters and moans when he's eating, right? Um, to meditate, devise, plot, speak, roar. Like I said, a lion will roar over its prey. Muttering and speaking to oneself over and over again in a loud voice. Meditation means to speak that over and over. It's, it's the picture, and one Hebrew scholar brought the picture in of a, of a cow that chews its food and, and will swallow it but bring it back up again to chew on it again. That's what we're talking about. That's the picture here. We speak and meditate on something over and over again. One scholar speaks of the picture, like I said, of a cow bringing up its cud again and again. Also murmur. We're not talking about, like we were before, murmuring in anger, but in pleasure, in a low voice. Okay? They often said a genius is one who says, uh, uh, speaks a lot of words over and over to himself. Okay? Growling in pleasure over prey. Thinking, pondering, considering... I like to use the word marinating, rumination, to toss it up in the air and bring it back down and think about it, okay? Just as lions devour and enjoy their prey, we must devour and feed upon and relish God's word. We must meditate on it, right? Psalm 2.1, why do the heathen rage? Uh, this, is, this is an interesting um, cross-reference. Why do the heathen rage? And imagine, it's the same word as meditate here, or haga, a vain thing. You know, the, the evil people, it said in Genesis when God was sad that he made the world, he said to Noah, you know, I'm getting rid of it. I'm going to wipe it out by a flood. I'm paraphrasing here. Because their every imagination was evil. And that I'm sorry to say we see so much of that today in our society. Godly meditation, though, is the saint, the favored son and daughter's lifeline. James 1.25, But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continues therein, being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This man, here we go, what's going to happen to him? Just like in the beginning, he'll be blessed. Boy, does that tie this lesson together today. Let's read it again. James 1.25, But whoso looks into the perfect law of liberty, we're looking into that today in the book of Psalms, right? and continues, he continues walking, right? It's a consistent walk. And is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of this work. This man shall be what? Blessed. Blessed is the man. Blessedness of blessedness shall be the walk that he takes. Uh, Psalms. Let's look at some cross-references you can look up later. That all use the word or the idea. Maybe a little bit different of a Hebrew word, but it's the same idea that I've defined here of meditate. Psalm 77, 6, Psalm 11, Psalm 12, Psalm 143, 5, Psalm 119, 15, Psalm 119, 78, Psalm 119, 97, Psalm 119, 99, and Psalm 119, 148. Different words for meditate. There's a lot of scriptures. If you go through uh, Psalm 119, there's a lot of passages there that use the word meditate. That's a beautiful study about the Word of God, just Psalm 119. And we may go into that uh, later on in our psalm studies. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Seat you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of, your, of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, is the literal language. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renovation, again, the literal, of your mind. Have your mind re renovated 
from all that old stuff, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. Philippians 4.8 Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are honest, whatever things are just, whatever things are true, uh, I'm sorry, whatever things are true, whatever things are honest, whatever things are uh just whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think or meditate on these things. Um, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in that law does he meditate, you know, once every seven days when he goes to church? Uh, once every day? No, it says day and night, continually, whether you're in blessing or trial, whatever you're doing in the daytime, whether it's working a job in a factory or at the grocery store, always you may not be directly zeroed in on a scripture or a concept scripturally uh, from the Word of God, but it's in the back of your mind. You're meditating on it day and night. You're turning it around in your brain, right? Anna the prophetess, it said in Luke 2, 36 and 37, served God with fasting and prayers day and night. To stimulate your mind, with God's word will bring you life and refreshing. Recla recap of the lesson today. Verse 1 is the blessing. The blessing is upon those. The blessedness of blessedness type of life is on those who determine to walk uprightly. Ver uh, verse 2, we begin to see where the blessed person's thoughts gravitate toward. Uh, verse 3, we are now seeing what the man or woman becomes as you delight and meditate on God. Actually, anything you become like, um, that shows what you're beholding. If you spend a lot of time watching the boob tube, uh, for example, you're going to become a, like a lot of that wasteless fodder. I mean, there are good things on there, but even the good things are not as good as the Word of God, right? And the concepts of God. 2 Corinthians 3.18, And we all, with unveiled faces, contemplate the glory, God's glory, Lord's glory, our being, if we contemplate that, if we meditate on it, what happens to us? We're being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is that spirit. Amen and amen. I'm going to stop for today. Just the first couple verses here. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Next week we're going to see, next episode, just what it is he becomes like. The metaphor of a fruitful tree. So come back next week for this exciting series on the Psalms in Psalm 1. Thank you again for being here at the Kingdom Corner Podcast. Have an awesome, awesome week. Thank you for joining us for another great discussion on The Kingdom Corner, hosted by Matt Guy. Remember to click the subscribe button so you can be notified of each new episode as it's released. To enjoy an even deeper dive into God's Word, check out Matt's new devotional book, Searching for Significance, a devotional journey through the book of Ecclesiastes. Learn more and even hear from Matt himself on the devotional website, significanceacademy.com. As always, thank you for being a part of The Kingdom Corner.